When I was in the ninth grade, uh, there's, I got a, a gift for my, it was my 14th birthday. We had just moved from Boston to Miami and it was, uh, it was a really nice gift. In fact, did you ever get a gift that it's like, you know, it's kind of like beyond what the relationship is. You know, it's like, like someone gets you something really nice. Like, well, we don't really know each other all that well, but they got you something like a really, really nice gift. Anyway, they, they, um, this family, they, they were kind of a family friend, but we didn't know them really, really well. I, at least I didn't. And they bought me this gold chain, like this thick gold chain for, uh, for my birthday. Now, that was, it was 1988, so, you know, there's a little grace here. Um, so anyway, but I was excited. Next day, I went to school. I had kind of, you know, my shirt open, no undershirt underneath. You know what I'm talking about, late 80s. I was rocking my Edwin jeans. Who was rocking Edwin jeans with me back then? What's up? What is up? All right, that's good stuff right there. Anyway, uh, so I was rocking my Edwin jeans. I had another gold, um, this like smaller gold chain that I used to wear uh, that I'd had since I was born. So I had that gold chain, then the thick gold chain. So I had this whole like Miami Vice slash pimp thing happening. Um, and so, uh, but then, I, and, and I'm telling you, you know, and I, and I you know, the, the small gold chain that I had, I used to wear, all, I never took it off. So, and pretty much for my whole life, up until I was about 18, I think I'd only taken it off twice in, in my whole life. And um, so anyway, um, but then I noticed after about three days or so that um, I, I started seeing something weird on my neck. And so I, I, I uh, and I looked and I thought I was turning into the Incredible Hulk because my neck was turning green, the whole thing. So I go to my mom and I'm like, what happened here? And, and that's when I, I learned uh, that there was this thing that's called like gold chain by the inch. You're, you're familiar with that? It's like, you know, I'd like three feet of gold chain. Sure, it'll be $4. And uh, so that's the gift that I got was this, you know, three. Anyway, it probably cost them like 75 cents, which now kind of makes sense. Like the relationship, it was about right for the relationship. But man, the crazy thing about this gold chain is that it looked so real. I, it looked so real. And, and my, it, was only, it was only when real life interacted with it that we found out that it wasn't genuine. And, and because if you just looked at it and nobody had really ever touched it or worn it, everybody would say that it was real. But, um, but once it started rubbing up against real life, that's when, whether it was genuine or not, uh, came to be seen. And that's the way everything in life really works. And, and I don't know, um, sometimes the things that hurt us the most are the things that we thought were real, but they turned out to be fake. See, maybe you were in a relationship and, and you thought that, man, we are, we are falling in love. You, you, were, you thought that you and this other person were falling in love only to find that the other person didn't really feel that same way. And it made you wonder, I mean, is anything in life really real? Is it really genuine? Um, you started investing in, in a friendship and, and, and what happened was is that, man, you're like, man, this is such a cool friendship that, that, that's come into my life and you, only, you find out that then the other person was just kind of using you. And, and you started to wonder, man, is, is, is such a thing as genuine friendship, does, is that real anymore? And then maybe um, there's somebody made some promises to you. And you said, man, that person made a promise to me and they would never back out on the promise. I mean, th- there's no way that that would happen. Only to find them to break the promise. And it causes us to take a step back and we start wondering if anything is, is real. And because everything looked real and it felt real and it seemed real, but in reality, it was all kind of fake. You see, and when it comes to faith, the way that we know that faith is real, it's just like that gold chain. It's got to bump up against real life. 
There's got to be some, some sweat. There's got to be uh, some, some friction that then you realize when, it starts, when faith starts bumping up against the real world, that's when you know that faith is real or not. You see, because can we just agree that it's easy to be a Christian here? It's really easy to be a Christian here. Why? Because, you know, we're all like singing songs to Jesus. The air conditioning is running pretty well. You want to see a hostile church, turn the air off. Man, those people will, they'll, anyway. Uh, you know, but, but everybody's nice, you know, for the most part. Some of you need to work on that. But for the most part, everybody's nice. And, uh, but then you walk out. See, here's what happens. What's going to happen is in a little while, you're going to walk out of these doors. And then we're going to walk back into a world that many times is hostile towards the things of God. And that's when we've got to, going to stand up for what's right. We've got to actually do what we know we're called to do when public opinion is kind of leaning on the other side. And that's when we find out if our faith is real. You see, a few weeks ago, we started this series that, that's called Becoming. And the whole idea is, is that there's a person that we want to become. There, there's here, the person we are, and there, the person that we want to become. And then the, 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 the challenge that we have is, how do I get from here to there? And so the Apostle Peter, in his first epistle, takes us through um, this, this road, this journey from here to there. And the challenge that we found is, and I, and I think one of the most important things is, it's not a straight shot from here to there. There are some twists and some turns that we didn't think we'd have to go, the roads we didn't think we had to go down to get from here to there, but we do. And so now, what Peter's going to talk to us about is it's not just getting here to there, but it's becoming who God wants us to be on the journey from here to there. And so, what Peter's going to do in, in this time as we look at 1 Peter 2 together, and I'm going to invite you to open there, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, is he's going to show us three areas where we need to show and exhibit genuine faith. Because here's why this is so important. This is so important for you, so important for me, so important for us. Is that you have friends that don't know Jesus. You have friends that are far from God. And the only contact that they have with someone who's connected to God is you. And so, but see, they aren't just watching how you handle things when things are good. Instead, they're watching how you handle adversity. They're watching how you handle setbacks. They're watching how you handle when people are rude to you. They're watching how you handle things when people go out of their way to hassle you for really no apparent reason. And see, what they want to know is if the things that we celebrate on a Sunday morning like this, the things that we say that we believe on a Sunday morning like this, will actually affect how we live when we walk out these doors and live out the rest of our week. And that's where Peter's going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11 as we begin reading. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil, or when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to share with you in our time together, and this is the first one. And that is that genuine faith lives honorably among all. It lives honorably. And this is the thing that people are looking for. What Peter's talking about in these couple, first couple of verses is living honorably, living with sincerity and being sincere. And, and um, you know, t- the word sincerity today uh, is a really watered down version of what 
the word sincere really means. We talk about a person who's passionate, like, oh, they're very sincere. They're very caring, like, oh, what a sincere person. But in the ancient world, in the ancient world, sincere meant really three words. It, was, um, it meant this. It meant, it meant the, the three words. Son will judge. That's what, that's what sincere meant. It meant the son will judge. Now, what, what does that mean? In the ancient world, people, one of the ways that people decorated their, their homes, palaces, the interior and exterior of, of their, um, their living space is by making statues. And so they would make statues many times commemorating important moments uh, in their lives, important moments in their family's life, important moments in, in the life of the nation or, uh, you know, th- that, they were, that they were part of. And so they would make these statues out of either marble or a, a different type of stone. But it, you couldn't, like, just mix a bunch of stuff together. In fact, it would have, if you made it with marble, it was, the whole thing was marble. If you made it with another type of stone, the whole thing was stone. And so um, you would hire a sculptor, and the sculptor would ask you, you know, so what do you want? You know, so if it's us, you know, you say, well, I want this giant statue of LeBron James, you know, like just Duncan or something and whatever. And uh, so that's what you want. You want this big statue of LeBron James? That's fine. And so then they would say, well, what do you want? I want it made totally out of marble, okay? And uh, they say, well, it's going to take about three months and come back and, you know, LeBron will be done. You can take him home. And so anyway, so they would begin, they would get this giant marble slab, I mean, huge, giant marble slab. And then they would, he would start, the sculptor would start chiseling, start chiseling away all the, the, the parts of, of the marble that were unnecessary. And he would start fashioning this statue. And then, now you can imagine, what would happen if he got to the very end? And this was, this was common at times in, in, in the ancient world, that you'd get to the very end and you're just like putting the last finishing touches on LeBron's face. You get to the dunk is there and the whole thing and... You know, there's some unsuspecting player on the ground, you know, uh, as he's getting dunked on, this whole thing, right? And so you're chiseling, right? And then, oh, you just lopped off LeBron's nose right there. Oh, my. What am I going to do? And, uh, and, and then now, some, a, 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 an honest sculptor would have to start over. A not-so-honest sculptor would say, I have a different idea. And he would take some of the leftover um, marble that had been chiseled out. He would take it, he would grind it down to a powder. Then he would take some wax, and he would mix the wax in to the powder. And then it would be kind of like silly, it would be like putty. Uh, and then he would kind of form it back into LeBron's nose. And so now you kind of polish it off, this and that, and now it's done. The person comes back and you say, hey, LeBron is ready. Oh, it's so awesome. It's amazing. Okay, and now you can take him home. So then they take their statue, of, and I don't know who their favorite player was back in the ancient world, but, uh, you know, um, and anyway, uh, <laughs> stopping myself. And, uh, and so then you'd put it in the front yard, but then here's what would happen. The sun would come out eventually. And then the sun would start beating down on, uh, on, on, on the statue of LeBron. And then that wax that made up his nose would start to melt. And then his no- and then you'd say, hey, LeBron's nose is running. And it's not because he's sick. It's because it's made of wax. And now the whole thing is melted. And then they- here's what they would say. Your statue is not sincere. Because the son will judge as to whether it's sincere. And so it became this common phrase in the ancient world. As far as so when you were- would build something, if it was genuine. If it was sincere, you would say, is it without wax? Is it, and that's really what, like a sincerity, hypocrisy, that's what it means is, is it, if it's sincere, is it without wax? And see, and this is, the, this is the challenge. Here's what people are looking for in you and in me. Are we living without wax? 
is the person that we talk about that we claim to be the real person that we are inside and out? Are we living the life that we say is the best life? Because Peter says in, in, these, in these verses, I love what he says in verse 12. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles in such a way so that if, even if they speak evil against us, nobody believes it because of our conduct. They say, well, you know, that person is this. Are you, you know, I, think, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're right there because have you seen the way that they live? Because our lives would actually speak volumes about what it is that we believe. It's um, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's see, the things that we do would actually cause people to think about who God is and, and, and hopefully lead them into relationship with God. And listen, this is why as Christians we are called to live for him and live with integrity. Because people are looking for an excuse not to believe. Because people... You see, sometimes non-Christians understand this better than Christians do. Christian, uh, non-Christians understand that your faith should impact every part of your life. Sometimes we try to compartmentalize our faith. And we say, well, you know, this is kind of what I do. But, you know, when it comes to bu- business is business, faith is faith. You know, and, but, but here's what a non-Christian thinks. A non-Christian thinks if you're a Christian, you should be a Christian in everything that you do. If you're a person who loves the Lord, that you should be that person in, 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 in all of our dealings. And so that's why, listen, they're looking on and saying, is what is the faith that you claim, is it sincere? Is it without wax? Now, let me just give you, this is kind of a silly illustration, but let me, let me give you one. Um, I, I was talking to some restaurant owners, uh, you know, over the years, you talk to several. But, you know, they tell me that servers, people who are servers, um, they don't like working on Sundays. You say, oh, you know, is it because they like to go to church? No. It's because after church, all the Christians go to their restaurant. And Christians are typically bad tippers. You say, what? And I'm like mortified. Like, you're kidding me. He's like, yeah, well, here's what happens is that um, Christians will will come. A bunch of them will show up after church, like 15 of them. They'll take up four tables. And they'll spend three hours having fellowship, uh, which is just nachos and water. Just keep bringing the water. And, uh, you know, because that's free. And then at the end, they'll leave like a $2 tip, even though they took the table for three hours. And, and he's like, you know, and that's why they don't, you know, they're looking at it. It's like it doesn't really make sense to work on Sunday because it's, it's not, um, it just doesn't work out because the Christians aren't really that generous. And see, non-Christians understand this, that as Christians, we're supposed to be generous. We talk about charity and all this stuff. But they're like, well, it doesn't show up on the tip, you know, when the bill comes. And... and now, and, and if we can just make a deal, can we make a deal? If you're a bad tipper, can you not put a Calvary card uh, afterwards? <laughs> if you want to give them a card to another church, that's fine. You know, I can recommend a few. Um, but, uh, no, I won't. Um, but that'd be fun, though, wouldn't it? Um, and, uh, but listen, but if you're going to leave a Calvary card, can we just like, you know, like can we leave 15% behind and let's get into like 20% or, or something like that? Um, because listen, people, listen, people are watching you. People who aren't Christians expect Christians to act like Christians no matter where they are. Uh, the other night, we, we ordered um, some pizza for dinner for the kids. And then Carrie and I ordered a couple salads or something. And then um, the, the food came. And this young kid, I mean, he's probably 18, 19 years old. He shows up at the door and he tells me how much it is. And I, that's, and I say, oh, perfect. So I take the money out and I'm, I'm ready to hand him the money. And he says, hey, are you Pastor Bob from Calvary? And I'm like, yes, I am. Let me make sure I give him a good tip there. Okay, yeah, that's good. We'll take that. 
Yes, I am, mister. And, uh, and so anyway, I, st- I walked outside. We talked for a few minutes. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, the, it's the funniest thing. Um, now, because, and I'm telling you, I'm really good. Now, I used to be a delivery driver when I was in college. So I like, I represent when those guys show up in my house. That's why my food gets to my house so fast. It's not because I'm a nice guy. It's because I, you know, I tip well. And they're like, these guys, because I remember when I was a delivery guy, you, everybody knew the houses that tipped well. And you would fight to get those houses. And they also knew the people that didn't tip well. Yeah, we know. And we're coming for you, all right? But it's after we've been to everybody else's house, all right? So if you want your food fast, tip well. Well, that's a little tip for you, all right? And uh, so, but I'm telling you, like, let me tell you the thing that just drives me crazy is that, you know, I, they're, they're, um, you know the people, like, they leave those little gospel tracts. Remember that, you, maybe you've never seen those, but years, this is like a million years ago when I first became a Christian, they'd have these gospel tracts that looked like a $20 bill. And they'd be like, oh, man, and you've, like, you found 20 bucks, and then it'd be like, you, and it's like, then it's like only half of it. And you're like, dude, where's the other half? Then you open it up, and it's like, I could have given you $20, but instead I will give you real riches. The Bible says, and then it goes, like, I remember finding one of those when I was in high school. I was going into a music store to buy guitar strings, and I'm like, dude, I just found 20 bucks. And it was that. Like, I was calling on God, but not for him to save me. All right? I was, like, cursing the people that left that thing on the street. Because I really needed 20 bucks at the time. And, uh, and so, but listen, people, the, the outside world, they're watching you. They're watching how you live. They're, they're watching how, how you treat your wife. They're watching how you speak to your kids. They're watching how you speak to your neighbors. Um, it's amazing to me. They're watching how you handle problems. And, and it's an incredible thing to me. Uh, and this is kind of a silly thing. But um, the other day, it was about two weeks ago. Xander and I were at Publix, and we were just picking up two or three things. And uh, so he's in the cart, and uh, he's sitting in the cart, and him and I are talking. My son, Alexander, if you don't know my, he's three. And so we're in there, we're talking. And um, anyway, this girl walks by who's, you know, she's, she's, she's a cute girl, and she gives me this really big smile. And I smile back. And I turn to my son, and I'm like, you see that, buddy? Your old man's almost 40 years old, but he's still got it. And... Uh, and anyway, he doesn't really know what that means, but I knew what it meant. I felt pretty good. And, uh, and so, anyway, um, we'll edit that out later. And, um, and so, <laughs> I told my wife this story. She thinks the other part is hilarious, which is the part I'm going to tell you right now. And so, anyway, so I'm getting some apples. I'm getting some juice, a couple other things. And then uh, that same girl walks up to me. And she says, Pastor Bob, can I just tell you something? And I stood right up and yes, ma'am. And uh, I didn't realize you knew me. And, uh, and she, says, um, she says, I've been watching you interact with your son for the last 10 minutes. And I have to tell you, it is the cutest thing to watch your, you guys' relationship. And uh, it is. It is. It really is. It's good. It's good. Xander tells me every day that him and I, we're best friends. And uh, it is. He's like, he, he, well, I, I've probably told you this in the past, but he was like, I'm Lightning McQueen and you're Mater. And... Uh, my teeth are straighter than Mater's, but that's another story. Anyway, so, and, uh, and so, but the, the, but the whole thing is this, is that, and you say, you might say this, like, oh, they're just watching you because, you know, they know you because you're a pastor. Listen, that's not the case. People know you, and they're watching you. And you know what they want to do? They, they, they're watching to see uh, just how you handle the, the, the simple little problems that come, that come into your life. How do you do it? Are you just saying, oh, you know, not a big deal, trusting the Lord, or do you, do you blow up? Because it's not, because it's like a, a simple thing, but it just kind of messes up your day a, a little bit. And listen, the people who don't know God that are in your life are watching you because they want to know if your faith is real. 
The second thing I want you to notice, and this is one of the ways that they're watching you. Look at verse 13. Um, He says this. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king of supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's here's the second thing I want you to note, and that is this, that genuine faith shows honor to leaders. It shows honor to leaders. Now, if we can just, under, you know, all recognize and, and admit that no one wants to be controlled by the man. You, you all know who the man is. The man is different in everybody's life. But lots of people, everybody has the man in their life. If you're a teenager, your parents are the man. All right? If you're an employee, your boss is the man. If you have, if you own a home, your homeowners association is the man. And they are an evil man. I'm going to tell you right now. All right? Now, um, but every, now, this is the thing. And so everybody just kind of dreams about the day that they are out from under the thumb of the man. Now, let me be, if I can, the bearer of bad news for a moment. Everyone is under the man, and everyone is going to be under the man at some way, shape, or form. It always, it always works that way. And the man may change, but it's not like you're going to ever, like, I am totally free. Nobody can say anything to me. It's not the way it works. Um, because whoever you think the man is, he's got the man in his life too. And you say, well, what about, what about Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple? That guy, he's the man. Like, nobody's telling him what to do. Well, he has a board of directors that tell him what to do. And he also has shareholders that are creating lots of pressure for him to do certain things. So even he's got the man. You say, well, you know, but that's it. No, maybe not. Remember when, when, you know, Bill Gates is the man, right, at Microsoft, and he has a board of directors that he answers to, and he has shareholders that he answers to. But remember a few years ago when they said that Microsoft was, was a monopoly, and so then there was this big antitrust suit that came in, and then another man showed up. It was part of his, Bill's family. It was his Uncle Sam showed up, right? And Uncle Sam said, hey, we're the man, and you've got to break this baby up. And so, and and this is the thing, and this is the point. The point is, and and I've seen this happen so many times. Many times what we do is when we just want to reject all authority. Oh, man, no, I'm going to reject all authority. I answer to God alone. It's not really that you answer to God alone. It's that you don't listen to anybody. And the truth is, that person probably doesn't really listen to God much either. I was was in a music store not that long ago, and I was talking to one of the guys that worked there. And um, turns out he said he was a Christian and whatnot. So we were having a conversation. And so I asked him, what church he attended and whatnot. And, um, and he said, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really attend church. It's just me and the Lord. It's just me and the Lord. I, I'm not part of any one church. I'm part of the invisible church. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. You're part of the invisible church. Um, can I ask you, so who's the pastor? Is it the invisible pastor? Ca- pastor Casper? Is he, is he the pastor of the invisible church? And um, who, who, like, when you're, if you're in the hospital, who, who, what minister visits you? The invisible minister? Are you part of an invisible small group that, that helps you grow? And, and by the way, if there's other people who show up at your invisible small group, get medication immediately, okay? And, uh, 
And so, and so we're just having, but here's what happens, right? And so you dig a little deeper and here's what, it, here's the reality of it. Cause this is always the story, or at least for the most part, he was part of a, 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 a part of a church and he got burned because there's something he didn't like that the leadership did, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, well, that's going to be the case and I'm leaving. And so then he left and now he's just kind of like this lone ranger Christian that's out there. And he's like, no, I don't want to commit myself to any church because I don't want the man in my life. And that's really what it comes down to. So he says that I answer to God, but he's not. I mean, besides the fact that just not being, you're not plugged into a church right there, you're not really doing what God wants you to do because God talks about that, not, not neglecting the assembly of ourselves together, right? So Hebrews tells us. And so, but listen, and this is true in our personal lives, that everyone is under authority. It's true in our church lives that everyone is under authority, right? And it's true even when it comes to government. And that's really the point that Peter's making in these verses. You see, sometimes we think, well, you know, if Peter knew who was running things governmentally, he wouldn't have written that, really. Do you know who was running things governmentally when Peter was, uh, was, was writing this? A guy by the name of Nero. And if you're not happy with the government right now, listen, Nero is, this is nothing compared to, to Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero was an absolute lunatic. And I'm not even saying that to be funny. This guy was insane, demon-possessed for sure. This is a guy that burned half of the city of Rome to the ground. And then when people started revolting, because he wanted to, he burnt Rome down because he wanted to rebuild it in his image. And so uh, when everybody got upset, he said, you know what? This is not going good. Hey, the Christians did it. They're always talking about being on fire for God. And that's what he said, that the Christians are always talking about being on fire and that, um, that that's, that was the whole reason that they burned down the city of Rome. That's what began the whole persecution of Christians, throwing them to the lions. This guy uh, would take... Christians dip them in oil, set them on fire in his garden, and burn them alive as he as he rode his chariot naked in his garden, and would scream at the top of his lungs, "You truly are the light of the world." This guy was not well. This guy was a madman, and Peter is writing and he's saying, "Hey, submit yourself to every ordinance of man." He's like, well, how, "How how do you do that? How how, how is that the case?" Because. If you're just the guy who's just going to break every law, you're not going to have any standing to talk to, the, to people about the gospel. Instead, what he says is, listen, if, if it comes to, well, this is an issue of the government is making me do something that compromises my faith. Well, if that's the case, then we serve God above men. But let's be honest that most of the time we just get upset because the government does stuff we don't like. And we can all agree or disagree on what that is. But most of the time it's, well, I just don't really like it personally. Right? I mean, isn't that what happened? Like, I mean, there's just some laws that I just think are dumb. The seatbelt law is idiotic. Right? I mean, think about this. I don't think the government should be involved as to whether I smash my head on a windshield or not. I want to keep the government out of my car. That's my, that's my, my feeling. And here's what bothers me even more, why I think the seatbelt law is dumb. Especially when I have, because see, I have, I, like your car, like my car, I have like 75 airbags in my car. Right? It's like, I mean, seriously, if I ever got into an accident, it'd be like being in a bounce house. That was awesome, right? You know, because you got the little cloud thing, this thing, side ones. You know, I mean, it's like nothing is going to happen. You know, anyway, I mean, maybe, but it, but this whole thing, right? So I've got 75 airbags in my car, and I've got to wear a seatbelt. And then right next to me in the next lane is a guy in a motorcycle, and he doesn't have to wear a helmet. Like, okay, because that makes sense. Because, you know, when a guy flips over on a motorcycle, you're not asking, is he okay? You're asking, is he alive? All right? And anyway, don't get me started. Um, but you know what I do? 
or my seatbelt. Do I think it's dumb? Yes. Do I do it anyway? Yes. Is 50% of the reason because my daughter will scream at the top of her lungs because she thinks I'm not safe? Yes. My daughter thinks, if, like, not wearing your seatbelt is like a cardinal sin. Mia, she'd be like, you're not safe, don't try! You know, I mean, she is like, she has got the fear of God in her when it comes to seatbelts. That and, and littering, forget it. You'll set her over the edge if you litter in front of her. Uh, because she saw someone, anyway, I'll tell you that some other time. And, uh, but I'm telling you, but listen, if it's not making you sin against, like wearing your seatbelt doesn't cause me to sin against God. It's just something that I, I personally think is dumb. But I just do, but I do it anyway. Why? Because it's the law. I got pulled over one day by a cop um, because I was doing 43 in a 45. And you're like, hold on, didn't you say that wrong? You're doing 93 in a 45. No, no, no. I was going 43 miles an hour and the speed limit, was, the speed limit was 45 miles an hour. And he pulls me over. He asked for my license and registration. I thought he was going to thank me. Like, hey, I just want to say you're a great example. And I was going to be like, yeah, you're right. And I'm an example. And, uh, you know, so, but anyway, pulls me over and he starts, um, he, he's, uh, he checks all my stuff out. And then he says, um, he starts talking to me about this law that had just come into practice like a few months before. It's called the move over law. You familiar with the move over law? Check out the move over law if you're not familiar with it. This is just, is just brilliant ideas. Um, if, if a cop pulls somebody over, um, you have to eat, if you're in the, the lane right next to them, you have to slow down to half the speed limit or move over. Hence the clever name, move over law. Okay. So then here's what happens it, is that, so he says to me, so, you know, do you know about the move over law? I said, no, he goes, well, it just got passed into law a few months ago. And so we're out here creating awareness. So I say to him, have you ever thought about sending a letter? And, um, you see, he didn't do that. Instead of laughing, he wrote me a ticket. And then told me to have a nice day, which is the part that really burns me. Because you know and I know when you get a ticket, you're not having a nice day at all. And so it just bugs me. But you know what I do now? I move over. Because it's the law. It's what I do. I, just, I move on over all the time. And, uh, and, and I'm telling you. And so, th- so it's a, but it's just this opportunity. Because if you're just a guy that's a rebel and a lawbreaker, listen, it's going to ruin your opportunity to talk to people about the things that are most important. So here's what Peter says. Hey, submit yourself to the government. Because by the way, those people need to know God too. And by the way, they're ruling. We know most of them aren't really aware uh, of who he is. Anyway, I'm going to move on or I'm going to get myself into trouble. Okay, verse 18. Here's what he says. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. But not to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps." who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, but who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer, of your souls. Here's the last thing I want to share with you, and that is this, that genuine faith 
endures challenges like Jesus. Endures challenges like Jesus. What do I mean by that? Um, and this is the, this is the issue when we, um, when we read a passage like this, is that Peter tells us that being a Christian brings persecution at times. It brings hassling at times. And that the goal should be not to prove that I'm right. The goal should be to honor God in these circumstances so that the genuineness of our faith can be seen. Jesus would say it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who persecute. uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's what he's saying. Because he says it twice. And in all of these, what are called the Beatitudes, it's like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But then he gets to this whole thing about um, persecution. And he says you're blessed twice. It's like, blessed are you and you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say false things against you. It's like you're doubly blessed. But the challenge is that most of us wouldn't see persecution as a sign of blessing. We would see it as a sign that God has departed from us somehow. And so, but Jesus is saying, if you're really living the Christian life, there are going to be moments when persecution comes into our lives. Where there's hassling, where there's insults, where there's things that people just don't get it. And so the question then we would beg to to ask is, so why would God allow these things to come into our lives? And it's because many times God is using difficult circumstances to get us ready for the next season of life that's ahead. See, what if the thing that you're experiencing right now, the challenge, the difficulty, the problem, the circumstance that you're experiencing right now is the very thing that has to happen for God to do the big thing that he wants to do in your life? If that's the case, we'd probably welcome it. Well, that's it. I knew God was going to do something big, but... um, but here's the problem. This is, this is where, the, this is where the, the conflict is. Is that for us, and, and this is for most of us, right? Is that our goal is we want, you know, our desire is for rest, comfort, and for things to go our way. That's how we think, like, that's how I know that God is with me, right? Because I get the front parking spot at Publix, and everything goes right, and I always have exact change. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, all the kids are healthy, and everybody's good, and, you know, the job's going well, and my, I'm pro- progressing in my career. But then, you know, we, we hit, uh, you know, a bump in the road. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, but what, 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 I'm, I'm doing everything right, though. What, why isn't God just, you know, why isn't everything just up and to the right all the time? And, and, and once again, because our goal many times is for rest and comfort and everything to go our way, God's desire is not that. God's desire is for us to be more like Jesus. See, let me read you a familiar passage and then the verse after it that sometimes isn't quite so familiar. It says this in Romans 8. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That's the part that we know. But then here's the next verse. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like Jesus. So the issue is all things are working together for good. And what good is that? The good, that is, that we might become like Jesus. In another translation, it says that we might be conformed to the image of his son. And so when anything comes into our lives, we can say, God is working this for good. The good of transforming me and conforming me into the image of Jesus. But a lot of times, uh, we, something bad comes into our lives and we think, oh no, God, where's God when I need him? 
Maybe, God, what if God's right there? And God actually just wants to show you who he is in that moment. Because there's going to be moments where you have to trust him to an even greater degree. When my wife and I were first married, we, um, uh, I was just starting in ministry, and I was in my last semester of college. And then my wife was working at a bank, and she had to drive down to downtown Miami. We were living in Coral Springs at the time. And uh, she had to drive down to downtown Miami to do some training at this, um, at, at this bank that she worked for. And so I told her, I said, listen, why don't you just start driving my car, and I'll start driving your car. Because uh, at the time, like, her AC had broken her car, and mine was still working to some degree. And so I said, well, just take my car, and, and you drive it, which seemed like a really good strategy at the time. Except that uh, one day, on her way home from driving back from downtown Miami, she got on I-75 to drive up to Coral Springs, and one of the tires in my car blew out. So she pulls over to the side of the road. And by the way, this is like 1998. And so like nobody had cell phones back then. And I know this is very hard for many of you to even imagine. You didn't, they, they didn't even have like 3G. No, they didn't have 3G. We didn't even have G. We had the letter. That's it. That's it. That's all we had. And uh, we had nothing. And so like we, I, we had beepers. That was it. All right? Like I had a beeper. That's all I had. And uh, Carrie, I don't even think she had a beeper. And so... Um, so we, uh, so she pulls over to the side of the road. There's no cell phone. There's no beeper. There's no one, no way for her to tell anybody that she's broken down on the side of the road. So she gets out of the, uh, now you got to match. She's wearing heels. She's got a skirt and, and all this. And she's trying, now she's going to start changing a tire on I-75 in the middle of rush hour traffic. So she opens the trunk. She gets the tire out and she gets the jack, the tire iron. She gets all of it out when a AAA truck shows up right behind her. And uh, the guy gets out, and he doesn't even really, as Carrie tells me the story, the guy didn't even really say anything to her. He just, like, said, oh, yeah, I got that. And then he puts up the tire, takes off the old tire, puts on the new tire, gets it all done, puts everything in the trunk, and then at the end says to Carrie, um, can I see your AAA card? And she says, uh, I'm sorry? And she says, you know, the, the, the AAA card on the back, that has the number where you called for them to dispatch me. She sa- and, and she said, sir, I, I'm not a AAA member. And she said, but we got a call that there was uh, a girl that was driving uh, a blue Chevy uh, that, that had a flat tire. And she's like, well, but I'm, I'm not, um, but I, I don't know who made that call because I don't, I don't have a AAA card. So he goes, well, then have a nice day. So Carrie gets in the car and starts driving home. And then for like about a mile or two up the road, she sees another girl that has a flat tire. And, uh, and, and she's like, and it was like this amazing thing that happened. And, and as, as we talked about it later, and it was just one of these things in our lives that you say, you say well, isn't that an amazing coincidence? And you can believe that. But I, I, I know what it really is. There's a thing that we talk about that's called a divine appointment. And that is when your need meets God's resources at the right time. And, that is, and that's what happened at that, at that very moment. And you know what happens? When, when you have something like that happen, something as simple as a flat tire, but you've got no way to call anybody and the right person shows up at the right time with the right skills to do the right thing. And you realize, like, you know, I really can trust God, even for the seemingly simple things in life. And see, when you can realize that, when you say, you know what, I can trust God, even when a challenge comes, in, that maybe God is using that so that I can begin to trust him more. And then something else happens that causes me to trust him so that I can start trusting him more. And it wasn't too, too long after that. It was another 18 months, two years, uh, when we were really praying about trusting God with the biggest thing we had ever done, which was leaving the church that we were a part of and coming and starting Calvary here. And listen, it's all those little things along the way 
that caused us to, really, to have the faith to be able to do what we thought was the biggest venture of faith that we would ever be on. Let me explain it this way. Um, my kids, they love the story of David and Goliath. That's like one of their favorite stories. And the way we do it in our house is when we do Bible time, you're one of the characters. And so, you know, anyway, so anyway, last time I, I got, so I was Goliath somehow. I'm not sure how that worked out, but I was like, you'd be Goliath. And then Xander knocked me over the head. And anyways, it was pretty fun for him. Um, and so, but, but a lot of people don't realize how that story starts. I think that it's like, and that, like, like we get dropped into the action. Like David's in the valley, there's Goliath. But here's how the story starts. The story starts with David uh, tending his father's sheep. And then being called in and saying, hey, you have seven brothers who are all part of the army, the Israeli army, and I want you to take them uh, ten loaves of bread and ten blocks of cheese. He's basically bringing his brothers some grilled cheese sandwiches because they're at war. And so he goes to bring it to them, and he hears all the stuff that Goliath is saying. That's how he gets involved in the action. He's just being a delivery guy. I hope his brothers tipped him well. And... uh, and so, but listen to what happens when he hears the things that his brothers, that, that he hears the things that Goliath said. Listen to what I put in your notes. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him for you're a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came out and took a lamb from the flock, I went out and st- after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. How does David, think about this. David is a 17 year old kid. How does he go into this valley by himself with a slingshot and five stones to, to, to face this giant that's now, that according to the Bible is over nine feet tall. I mean, how do you do that? And it's because, listen, here's how he did it and here's how you do it. It's because he had been in tough situations before and trusted God. So when this situation came up, this was the moment that God had been preparing him for all along. David had been in the field keeping his father's sheep, as we read. And when a lion came along and took one of the sheep, when a bear came along and took one of the sheep, he didn't run away. He went after that that thing and he struck him or killed him and then got him and got that animal back, that sheep back and put it back in, in the fold. Now, let's be honest. I mean, would, I'm guessing David's dad owning sheep, being a businessman, that he would have understood that sometimes you lose some sheep, right? Would he, would he have understood? I'm sure that within the financial structure of the sheep business, that there has to be a line item of you know, loss due to accidental death or first-degree murder by the hand of another animal, right? Can we all agree that there's got to be some line item for that? And so, and by the way, so David's dad isn't going to say anything if he loses a couple of sheep to a lion or a bear. And we certainly know the sheep aren't going to say anything either, right? They're not going to come back, David's been a bad boy. They're not going to say that. And so, but listen, and this is so key. This is so key that these moments of private faithfulness led to David's public exaltation. 
private faithfulness was directly related to his public exaltation. David became the champion of Israel that day because he was willing to trust God when no one was looking. And that all led, that moment of trusting God and God going through a difficult season and God showing up in his life and, and bringing him victory, going through a difficult time, and all of that, it was the lion and God brought him victory. It was the bear and then God brought him victory. And he looks on at his life and he says, I'm realizing now that everything has been preparation for this moment. My friends, we can't run away from the everyday challenges. We can't run away from the things that come into our lives just because we're believers. Because if we do, courage is not going to materialize when the giant shows up if we haven't been faithful to take on the lion or take on the bear. And listen, if we can't trust God when the problems are small, don't think that we're just going to figure it out, you know, when the problems get big. You see, David's life is proof positive to us that preparation in little things leads to better opportunities and greater workings that God wants to do in our lives. That's what Jesus said. It's the last verse in your outline. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many things. So here's my challenge to you is to take on the lion and take on the bear. To pick up your stone and realize that the living God is with you. That many of us, listen, we're not living courageous lives because we haven't, um, made, we haven't made the decisions that build courage. Problems have come, we've wanted to run away from them. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to stand my ground because God is, gonna be, is, God is with me. And if, and if he's been with me this far, that I've trusted him this far, he's brought me this far, then he's going to bring me through this as well. We've got to take on the lion when it comes our way. We've got to take on the bear when it comes our way. So what's the lion and the bear for you? Listen, if you're here and you're married, let me tell you what it is uh, many times. It's forgiving one another. Listen, most marriages don't end because of one event. Most marriages end because it's the cumulative effect of a whole bunch of unresolved conflict that we never took on because we never wanted to deal with it. And we just thought, if I could just keep the peace, then eventually everything will be okay. And eventually keeping the peace doesn't work. That's why the Bible says this, those same Beatitudes we talk about. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers makers. You see, when we decide and we decide, hey, this is going to be hard and we're going to, but we're going to have the courage to talk and get through this issue that we have when the lion and the bear show up, when Goliath comes into our lives, um, we're, we're going to be ready to face him in God's strength. But if you neglect and you say, well, I'm going to run from the lion, I'm going to run from the bear. Then when Goliath comes, that'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Listen, in your career, it's it's the same thing. You know, you start doing the right thing today. Um, Because here's what it's like. A lot of times we we just, well, you know, I want to live with integrity. But like when when the cashier gives us a little too much change back and it's like, well, what do I do? Well, no, you just, you you, you tell them they gave you the, you you give it back. Because you say, well, that's such a simple thing. Yeah, but see, that simple act, the thing that takes away greed and theft and, and, and all that stuff that comes up, and say, well, you know, I deserve that extra money anyway. And, and here's what can happen. You, you show integrity in those little moments. 
that when the big moments come in business and fraud and all that kind of stuff, then here's what you say. You can walk away from that and say, I'm not even tempted by it. Why? Because I took on the lion. I took on the bear. And this Goliath, he does, he's, he's nothing compared to the God who's been with me all this time. You see, difficult circumstances are not just the things that God used to fortify our faith, to strengthen our faith and to build our faith. Difficult circumstances are the things that God uses to draw us to him that begin to inspire faith and instill faith. You see, and that could be where you are today. You could be going through a difficult season of life and you're wondering why all of these things have happened. And you're saying, but I got defeated by the lion, I got defeated by the bear, and now I feel like I'm facing a lion. I mean, what do I do now? And can I tell you something that God is, and you might think, man, God's just trying to wipe me out. No, he's not trying to wipe you out. No, said God's trying to set you up for all the good that he wants to do in your life. Because listen, sometimes things are just going so crazy and we don't realize we, we can't make sense of a lot. But even in the worst of circumstances, here's the thing that we can be sure of, is that God loves you, that he loves you passionately, fervently, and that everything that comes into your life and mine comes through his, through the, through the filtering of his hands. And that everything that's happened, everything that's happened is part of his master plan for your life. Even the difficult season that we're in even the challenge that we're facing, even the problem that seemingly won't go away, that this could be part of what God is using to draw you to him because it's part of the master plan that he has for your life. In fact, I would venture to say that if you're going through a challenge, that could be part of what brought you here today. To say, I, I don't know what's going on. I can't make heads or tails of it right, right now, but I need, I need to come to church and I need to draw close to God. I need to hear something from the Bible and hopefully God will speak to me from this so that I can figure out what it is that's happening could it be that that's the very thing that God has done that he's speaking to you, that he's working in you and here's the message that you heard that he's with you that he wants you to be strong and courageous and that he's going to get you through it that he wants you to come to him so that he can forgive you and you can have life and peace I want to give you an opportunity for that, let's pray together and Lord we want to thank you we thank you for your love we thank you that you don't leave us ever, but certainly not in the difficult seasons of life. And instead, Lord, what you do is that you walk with us in the journey. And so, God, I know for some of us here, we're going through a tough time, and we need you. So I pray for those of us that are believers, that love you, that are going through a tough time. And I pray, Lord, that you would be so present in their lives and that you would work the miraculous in their lives. And for those who are here that don't know you, I, I pray, God, that you would be ever present in their life and that this would be the moment that they come to you, that call out to you as their God, as their Savior, and that you would hear, that you would act, and that you would work. God, may this be the moment that changes everything. In Jesus' name.